Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your word today from a variety of places and circumstances, and fears, and sorrows, and sickness. God, we come to your word today desperate to hear from you and to receive your healing touch, Lord, to receive encouragement that only you can bring. God, I know that there are people here today who are suffering, who are scared, have lost. God, and there's people here who like Jairus and like this woman have asked you for healing for someone that they love or for themselves and desperately want to see their stories in this story. God, I pray that you would teach us, but Lord, I pray that you would shepherd us gently lovingly, graciously, Lord, lead us into your truth and lead us into life today. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I grew up in a family that never let me quit anything. And when I was in the middle of basketball season or baseball season and I really didn't want to go to practice, I really wanted to quit. Or when I couldn't figure out how to do something or I wasn't, I wasn't doing something right or I thought I should be better at something, it would be really easy to quit. And so I hated it at the time that they never let me quit. They never let me quit anything that I started and I'm grateful for it now. See, it's easy to start something and then run into a little snag and throw in the towel. I do believe I have quit just about as many hobbies as I have started. It's easy to, to start something. It's easy to quit something. But one of the most important lessons we can learn in life is, is from sticking it out. It's, it's not just the lesson to finish what we start because that's a good thing to do. It is a good thing to do. It's a good thing to learn. But I think one of the most important lessons that we can learn in life is that between the I can and the I quit, there is something that is so difficult for many of us to say, and that is, I need help. We can jump so quickly from I can to I quit that we forget to ask for help. Asking for help is difficult to do because it forces us to face our inadequacies. It forces us to face our failures and to reach out in dependence on others. Now, our text today tells two stories of two very different individuals, but they have something in common, and we have something in common with them. We desperately need Jesus' help. Jesus is the only one that can save us. Once again, Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee. He gets off of the boat and is met by a man in desperate need. In our previous passage, it was a lost soul, a man tormented by spiritual oppression and cut off from worship and cut off from society in Israel. But this time it's Jairus and he is a ruler of the synagogue. He is a man of incredible importance, but his daughter is dying And so he's desperate. He's heard of what Jesus can do. Perhaps he's even seen what Jesus can do. Remember at the beginning of Mark when Jesus goes to the synagogue in Capernaum and he casts a demon out of a man and he asks a man with a withered hand to stretch it out and is restored. Quite possibly this could have been Jairus' synagogue. He could have seen it himself, but certainly he was aware of what Jesus can do. And so he comes to Jesus, and like the demoniac from the previous passage, he throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he says, come lay your hands on my daughter. If you lay your hands on her, she'll be made well and she'll live. And so Jesus goes with him. But on the way to Jairus' house, Jesus is interrupted by yet another desperate person. This time, it's not a ruler of the synagogue. It's a woman on the complete other end of the social ladder. She has been desperately seeking healing from a disease that has caused a flow of blood for 12 years. Now, this disease made her ceremonially unclean. See, coming in contact with blood, according to the Jewish tradition and law, made somebody unclean because blood represents life. And to lose the blood means to lose your life. And so to come into contact with the, 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 the source of life means coming into contact with death. And this made somebody unclean. And to be unclean isn't to be sinful. 
to be unclean, everyone just living ordinary life. You cut yourself and you're bleeding. You didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but you're unclean. And so to be unclean meant that you were cut off temporarily or depending on how long the, the, the illness or the condition was, permanently. You were cut off from worship in the temple and then also isolated from anyone who wanted to worship in the temple. Because to come into contact with an unclean person made you unclean and now you couldn't go into the temple. And so this woman for 12 years has been cut off from worship in the temple and any communion with anyone who wanted to worship in the temple. And so you've got Jairus, this spiritual leader, and you've got this woman who is a spiritual and social outcast. And she's spent everything, all that she had, seeking a remedy for her condition. And you can understand why. She was isolated and cut off. And so unfortunately, nothing helped and it only seemed to make matters worse. But like Jairus, she has heard of what Jesus can do. And so she says to herself, all I need to do is to touch his garment. If I touch the fringe of his garment even, I will be made well. And so she does. And she is. See, both Jairus and this woman have much to gain in coming to Jesus, but they also have much to lose. See, as I said, Jairus, as the ruler of the synagogue, he associated with, he is associated with the spiritual leadership. Now, if you remember in Mark, though, the spiritual leadership in Israel and in Jerusalem, they were not exactly keen on Jesus. They accused him of blasphemy and accused him of being possessed by Satan. And so for Jairus, a member of this community, to come to this man in such a desperate way and to throw himself at Jesus' feet, he could have lost his high standing. He could have been uh, marginalized, isolated from the Pharisees, from the rest of the spiritual leadership. But on the other hand, this woman who was, was uh, unclean, and she risked making others unclean. So she comes to Jesus, and if anyone were to identify her and call her out, like, that woman's unclean, she, she risked making Jesus ceremonially unclean. She risked making the rest of the crowd ceremonially unclean. And so if they were to call her out on it, things would go from bad to worse. It would have been bad news. Both of them have tremendous things to gain, but they have a lot to lose. They're taking a huge risk. But desperate times call for desperate measures, and they are both desperate for Jesus. Jesus is their only hope. They know it, and so they reach out to Jesus in their desperation. Many of us today need to reach out to Jesus in our desperation. We don't like feeling desperate, though. We'll do anything to avoid that feeling of powerlessness and hopelessness. But I think one of the reasons we actually don't experience the presence and power of Jesus in our lives is because we aren't aware of how desperate we are. We have so many opportunities to distract ourselves from our desperation, to not think about it. Some may throw money at a problem that that keeps them from recognizing their desperation. Others will fill their lives with recreation and entertainment and amusement and relationships that distract us from sitting with our desperation. 
And even as believers, we can use our theology to ignore our desperation. We say, everyone's desperate for Jesus. I know theologically that I'm desperate for Jesus, but in times and circumstances when things are going well for us, we just forget. And we don't think about it. We don't think about our desperation. And so the question is not whether or not you here today are desperate for Jesus. The question is whether or not you are aware of your desperation for Jesus? Are you aware of how desperately you need him today? Now, some of us today, we need to know. We need to be reminded. We need to be brought face to face with our desperation for Jesus. But for many of you, you already know. For many of you this week, this month, this last year, year and a half, maybe, maybe it's been longer it's just been a nightmare. It's been difficult. You've suffered. You've suffered hard. And you're continuing to grieve. Many of you already know how desperate you are, how desperate you have been. Maybe you're here today and you are well aware of your need. This last couple of weeks, I've heard stories of desperate anxiety, depression, I've heard stories of tragic loss of life. I've heard stories of broken families, broken marriages, addiction, loneliness. I've heard stories of grieving parents and grandparents over wayward children and grandchildren, medical diagnosis, lost jobs. Many of you know how desperate you are, and maybe you're here because you've heard of what Jesus can do. You've seen what he's done for others. You believe that the stories are true and you're calling out to God today just by being here. God, do you see me? God, do you know what I'm going through? God, do you hear me? I've seen you do this. I've seen it in the lives of others. Will you do it for me? Some of you are here and you know how desperate you are. Many of you are like the woman in this text. You've done so much. You've done everything you can possibly think of to doing. You've tried everything. And so in your desperation, you're here. I want to encourage you that in that desperation, reach out to Jesus. This woman knows that only he can help her. So she reaches out, she touches his clothes, and she's healed after 12 years of misery. If you are here today, in your desperation, you reach out to Jesus, he will heal you. He's able. He's the only one that is able. So Jesus recognizes that something has happened to him. The woman reaches out, touches him, and he senses that power has gone out from him. And though an entire crowd is pressing in around him, he knows that someone has experienced a different kind of touch. And so Jesus keeps asking, who touched me? Who touched my garments? Now, I want you to take a moment and think about Jairus. Right? Mark has has left that story for a moment. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. The woman touches him. She's healed. Jairus is also desperate. He's come to Jesus for healing. He's come to Jesus for something that he needs. And Jesus stops and asks, who touched me? Can you imagine how Jairus is feeling? Time was of the essence. 
His daughter is dying, and now Jesus is looking around fervently in the crowd, looking for someone who has touched him. Imagine his frustration. Imagine his impatience. Imagine his desperation surging, his desperation mounting, going, Jesus, we are in a hurry. We have got to get to her. She is going to die, and you're asking who touched you. Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. He is an important person. Why are you talking? Why are you looking around? Why are you talking to this unclean woman from the dregs of society? We've got more important things to do. And she identifies herself. She throws herself down at his feet as Jairus did earlier. And she tells him the whole story. Not just, I believe that if I touched your garments, you would heal me. The whole story, how she'd been suffering for 12 years, how she had gone to physician after physician after physician, seeking all kinds of remedies, all kinds of help to no avail, and and still things have gotten worse. Imagine Jairus hearing the whole story, that Jesus honors her situation. He values her life. He sits and listens to her tell the whole story. And after all this time has passed, he tells her, your faith has healed you. Go and be healed of your disease. And then people come from Jairus' house and say, your daughter is dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Can you imagine how Jairus is feeling? That he had come to Jesus first. He had been delayed. The woman had already received her healing. And now his daughter would never receive hers. Have you ever prayed for something so fervently in such desperation and seen God give it to somebody else? I have. I remember being in the throes of student debt, crushing student debt, and hearing miraculous stories about God paying off people's debt, setting them free from their financial debt. And honestly, I'll just, like, just confess my selfishness. It was really hard to celebrate with them. God, you did it for them. Why not for us? I know people who have miraculous stories of God healing disease, cancer, crazy stories One day in the MRI, it's there. The next day, they open them up. It's not. Miraculous stories. And again, in my selfishness, I hate saying this. I feel so ugly and so awful for saying this. It's been difficult to celebrate with them. God, you did it for them. Why not my dad? Prayed fervently, desperately. Why not? Can you imagine how Jairus must be feeling? Maybe you identify with him. You've asked. You believed. And something died. Jesus had healed others. He'd hoped that he would heal his daughter. It's too late. Jesus was delayed. And she was gone. Just as the woman's condition took 12 years to worsen, in an instant, Jairus' situation was made infinitely worse. And then Jesus looks at him and says, don't be afraid, only 
believe. He'd made it clear that it was the woman's faith that healed her. And now he tells Jairus to continue in his faith. So we reach out to Jesus in our desperation, but we must reach out to him also in faith. But this word faith is so confusing. There's one word in this passage that's translated both believe and faith. It's one word in the original language, but it's translated in this passage both believe and faith. And in fact, in other places, it's also translated trust. One word, but three words in English with very different connotations. Believing, having faith, and trusting in English are not the same thing, but they are in the text. To believe is to intellectually affirm that something is true. To have faith is to believe that something is true, even though you might not be able to prove it empirically. But to trust is to make a decision based on your belief, based on your faith. So you can believe that bungee jumping would be fun. You can have faith that the bungee will not break. But until you jump, you don't actually trust anything. Both Jairus and this woman have jumped. They've risked everything. They risk their good standing in the synagogue, Jairus does, by coming to a man that the Pharisees accused of blasphemy. The woman risks repercussions for potentially rendering Jesus and the crowd unclean. But she can't live like this, and Jairus' daughter can't continue to live without Jesus' intervention. And so it's not only in their desperation, but it's in their faith. It's in their trust. They come to Jesus and risk everything and ask for healing. So maybe some of you are here and have been suffering silently. You've been desperate for a long time, but you've never made your need known. Because it's risky. It's risky to make your need known. What would people think if they knew your addiction? What would people think if they knew the financial trouble that you were in? What would people think if they knew that your marriage wasn't perfect? What would people think if they knew your sin? You're desperate, but you're afraid. What if I reach out to Jesus and he doesn't deliver me? What if I reach out to Jesus and it's just emptiness and silence? What if I reach out to Jesus and he's not there? Maybe you're thinking, I did reach out to Jesus. And I, and I don't know if he heard me. I'm still waiting. There's a temptation to read this passage and to read passages like this and say, see, if you have faith, God will heal. If you have faith, then God will heal. But sometimes we pray for things and God doesn't heal. And then what do we do? And then people will say, well, if you have faith, then God will heal. And so you prayed and God didn't heal. So you must not have enough faith. What does that even mean? Enough faith. What does it mean to not have enough faith? How is faith quantifiable? You either trust or you don't. You either jump or you don't. Faith is or it isn't. Even when Jesus says that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that faith is still faith. And he says if you have just if any faith at all, it can accomplish all of these things. Not enough faith? What does it even mean? Let's look at the faith of Jairus and this woman. What did they actually believe? Did they believe everything that the New Testament would say about Jesus? No. Not even the disciples believed that. 
Did Jairus and this woman uh, uh, believe, could they, could they articulate exactly why they had faith in Jesus? No. But did they jump? Did they entrust themselves to him? Absolutely. They risked it all. They came to Jesus. They put their faith in him. See, it's not about how much you believe. It's not about how well you can describe your belief. However small or how great your faith is, your salvation comes not from the quantity or the quality of your faith. Your salvation, your healing comes from the object of your faith. It comes from Jesus. Jesus is the one who heals. Coming to Jesus with however little or however great your faith is, you come to him and he is the one that does it. Your salvation comes from the object of your faith. If you put your faith, your trust in Jesus as the only one who is able to rescue you from your desperation, then you will be delivered. But then what of those who've trusted in Jesus to be the answer to their prayers and were not delivered? We keep coming back to this question. And so listen, we can't miss this. When we pray for God's deliverance, we expect an experience like the woman. We expect her experience. We come to God in desperation. We reach out our hand and we expect to have her story. But often we're like Jairus. We reach out. We believe that he can heal. But before he does, our worst fears are realized. And so then we say, God, why didn't you heal? Why didn't you answer? Why didn't you save me? Why didn't you save this person? I imagine Jairus saying, why on earth was it so important to talk to this other person for so long? She already got what she wanted. Now my daughter is dead. And we think this way because we believe that death is the end of the story. Jairus had every right to think this way. While she's alive, there is hope. I've seen him heal. But now that she's dead, all hope is gone. Because people, they don't come back from the dead. But the death is not the end of Jairus' story. The story continues. Jesus goes to the house, takes the little girl by the hand, and pulls her out of the grave. So we need to understand something, that sometimes our story will reflect the experience of the woman, and sometimes it reflects the experience of Jairus. Many of you are reaching out to Jesus in desperation and in faith, and like the woman, you will receive your healing. We do see that happen, and many of us right now, like Jairus, are grieving a healing that never came, but the story isn't over yet. Because death does not have the last word. Like Jairus, we all are living between the death and the resurrection. No matter who you are, no matter what your experience, no matter what you have lost, Jesus will raise the dead. We want the woman's experience. But what experience is actually, we want that, that immediate healing. But sometimes it doesn't come. And what we need to know is that sometimes it doesn't come yet but Jesus will raise the dead. Jesus raised the little girl to life 
He will raise you to life. He will raise the dead. This is what God does. We often look to scripture to make sense of what we've experienced, but we also need to look to scripture to make sense of what we will experience, to be prepared for what we will encounter. And so if you are grieving, if you are suffering loss, if you've experienced sorrow and tragedy and death, you need to know that your grief is not the end of the story. Death is not the end of the story, that Jesus will raise the dead. Absolutely, he will raise the dead. Whether the the, the chaos of the deadly storm at sea that we learned about a few weeks ago or violent oppression from Satan and an army of demons from last week, whether chronic disease or even death in our text, the reason you can reach out to Jesus in desperation, the reason you can reach out to Jesus in faith and know that he will not turn you away is because Jesus reaches out to you and raises the dead. It's because Jesus has already reached out to you in power. When Jesus died and was put in the tomb and was there for three days, the disciples waited for three days after he died, after their hope was lost. Imagine the desperation mounting. Imagine their circumstances, their fear growing day by day. But on the third day, the Holy Spirit raises Jesus from the dead. And unlike Jairus's daughter, he raises Jesus to never die again. Jesus is alive today. Make no mistake about it. And when he ascended into heaven, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. And when he did, he made us a promise. He made us a guarantee. He guaranteed that just like him, both great and small, all people will experience a resurrection from the dead when Christ returns. He is coming again and he will raise the dead. Some will be raised to life. Some will be raised in glory and others will be raised in judgment. But they will be raised and the difference between those two is not how much you've accomplished in life. The difference between those two is not how good you've been or how well you behaved or how many times you read the Bible. The difference between those who are raised in glory and raised in judgment will be faith. Faith is the difference. Not great faith, faith. Not a quantifiable, quantitative faith, but the object of your faith. The only difference between those in glory and those in judgment are faith in Jesus. And so have you entrusted yourself? Have you entrusted your life to the one who raises the dead? We can come to Jesus because of certain circumstances, desires that we have to see him accomplish incredible, wonderful things, to see him bring healing to people that we love. But have you come to him knowing that someday you are going to need him to bring life to your mortal body? Have we come to the one who raises the dead? Have you put your faith in the one who raises the dead? We need to hear Jesus' words to us today, the same words that he spoke to Jairus. Do not fear, only believe. Because he can bring your dead faith back to life. He can bring your dead marriage back to life. He can bring your dead relationships back to life and he can bring your dying body back to life. Do not fear, only believe. Jesus raises the dead because he wants you to live. You understand this, that God wants you to live. When God made the heavens and the earth and he created humanity in his image, 
and put them in the world to represent him and to, and to rule and subdue and cultivate the earth and to care for the earth as, as he would. He put in the middle of that garden the tree of life that all they would have to do is eat from the tree of life and they would live. And God is desired to live with his people eternally in the creation and in the kingdom and to see his purposes fulfilled. And then sin came in and brought death. And so God wanting, longing for, to to, to live with his people eternally said, death is not going to be the end of the story. I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send a hero to crush the head of the serpent. And to make right what went wrong. And we look in the text as we read the story. The woman gives birth. We go, is this the one? No, Cain's not the one. Is Seth the one? No, Seth's not the one. Is Noah the one? No, Noah's not the one. Is Abraham the one? No, it's not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. It's not Judah. It's not David. It's not any of these people. The story of Scripture, we're sitting there longing for the one who will come so that we don't have to die, and yet they all die. And then he died, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. They all die, and we're left in the text wondering, when will somebody come and undo death? Jesus Christ has come, and he has undone death. He wants you to live. He wants you to live, not die. So in our desperation, we come to Jesus and we live. In our desperation, we come in faith and we live. Jesus has reached out from heaven and earth. He has reached out through time and space. He didn't just risk his social standing. He didn't just risk being made unclean. He gave up his throne. He gave up his crown. He gave up his glory. He took on shame and disgrace and humiliation and sin. And he took on our uncleanness and he made us clean. The reason we can reach out in faith, the reason we can reach out in desperation is because he has already reached out to us in power. He has pulled us out of our desperation as he pulled the little girl out of the grave. He has pulled us out of our plight. He has pulled us out of our certain death and he has pulled us into glory. He wants you to live. And so you might be experiencing a life right now that feels like the woman. Your condition has gone on too long. If you reach out to Jesus, he will save. You might have the experience like Jairus where you come to him in faith and yet before he can accomplish what you desire him to do, your worst fears are realized. But death will not have the last word. If you are here and you have lost someone, death will not have the last word. If you are here and you are sick and you are in fear of dying, your death will not have the last word because your savior wants you to live and not die. And if you put your trust in Jesus, if you reach out to Jesus in desperation and in faith, you will find that his hand is already reaching out to you and he is the one who raises the dead. Put your trust in Jesus today, whether it's for your salvation and your eternal life or your physical life or the life of someone else or an affliction that you are experiencing today. Reach out to Jesus. Ask for him to heal. He will not turn you away because he is the one who raises the dead. Let's pray together. Jesus, we ask that you would come in power and in glory, that you would come in healing, that you would come with your presence, that you would come today even as we sing, even as we worship, even as we are here drawing our eyes and our attention to you. 
God, we long for this this desperation in our hearts to be satisfied. We know that it can only be satisfied in you. God, we long for our afflictions to be healed. We believe that only they can be healed in you. God, we have heard what you can do. We have seen what you can do. Like the woman in Jairus, they, they know that we know that you are our only hope. And so God, whatever we're experiencing today, God, I pray that you would give us faith to stretch out our, stretch out our hands. I pray that you would give us faith to grasp onto yours. And I pray that you would give us the opportunity to experience our lives, our souls, our hearts and our minds and our relationships being pulled out of the grave and being brought to life. God, I know that there are people here who have lost, who have lost loved ones. And God, I pray that there would be comfort in knowing that death will not have the last word, that you are the God who raises the dead. God, give us faith, give us hope, give us trust in you to risk it all today, to risk it all right now, to come to you and and. and Lord, put everything else behind us because you are in front of us and you, God, are the greatest thing we can possibly receive. God, we long to experience your power, your presence, your healing touch. God, would you heal your people today? God, would you save the lost in this city? Those who are dead spiritually, would you bring them to life? God, those who have walked away, not just from the church, but have walked away from Jesus, would you bring the dead to life? God, would you restore our faith? Would you restore our joy? Would you restore our hope? Would you restore our souls, God? Would you do this work for your glory? God, we love you and we long to encounter the life that is in your name. And it's in that name, the name of Jesus, that all of us pray and all of us, all of God's people say, amen.